Okay, okay. So we're talking about biker shorts. Biker shorts. Can I wear them? I don't know. I wear mine under my karate pants. Like if I'm wearing my white karate pants, oh. I wear them underneath because I just don't need anybody seeing what's going on under there. <laughs> I just don't need that to be the feature of my workout in my white karate pants. And I would really love to like just wear the shorts to work out. Yeah. And even kind of like casually like a while back I, I saw for the first time women at fashion week when there used to be fashion weeks pre-pandemic mm -hmm. wearing like exercise bike shorts like you know almost down to the knee but mm -hmm. you know like down the thigh those biker shorts athletic shorts with huge ugly sneakers which i love and big old oversized blazers yeah I remember seeing it. And the first time I saw it, I was like, ooh, no. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> yes indeed. I like it. I yeah. just, I'm I'm too chicken shit to try it. Yeah, I, I'm, I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm past the age threshold for that. Okay. That's what I keep thinking, too. Yeah, and you're younger than I. By like a year, yeah. two years no. maybe. Yeah, I'm no. gonna be 39 in July. I'm older. <laughs> uh, I just feel like you could totally pull it off. The women wearing it at Fashion Week. <laughs> I, I can relate to that feeling though. Like, am I too old for this look? Like right now, this I feel too old for this. But I'm no, doing it. So. It works. It it's working. I something about it. Like, God, I've got flyaways. Oh, Someone, mine's everywhere. We really need to talk to the the show stylist about the way <laughs> that they're setting us up for these videos. You know. Oh, I know. Like, yeah. This is that they put me in. And then the hair, and then it's like, no one even bothered to do my makeup, so... Welcome to Breast Cancer is Boring, a podcast about breast cancer with Jocelyn and Lauren. Whether you have breast cancer or any other kind of cancer, or you're just a weirdo who's super <laughs> cancer curious, welcome. We hope you enjoy, because breast cancer is boring, but we, and you, mm -hmm. are interesting. I love it. All right, let's get decent. Let's get started, continue. <laughs> anyway, I am comfortable mm -hmm. as fuck in this yoga wear. And I got a PS5 that my brother got for me from GameStop Online. It's sitting on his bed right now. <laughs> like an hour away. So I have to wait till he brings it to me. Oh, man. Yeah, I told him to be prepared to hang out for a while. Because, oh, like, yeah. I don't know. I've never had a gaming console. I have a Switch, oh. a Nintendo Switch, that little okay. one. I, I don't know how to, like, set up. Like, a PS5 seems like a whole system. Yeah, I I mean, it, the whole, I mean, PS5 makes you think that it's, like, some fancy number five level of the PS I mean, Which... I think it's the fifth one. <laughs> yeah. 
all right, fine. You can come over and play it. I, I see you there <laughs> for an invite. So yes, mm-hmm. yes, you can come to my house and play the PS5. I have mm-hmm. chocolate covered raisins and I bought a bag of Doritos. Just for the inaugural playing. Also, just putting it out there, um, I, this week, have decided to have a full-on existential crisis. Like, full-on, who am I? What am I doing with my life? What do I want to do with the rest of my life? Crisis. I am now accepting all and any advice uh, from my life. And I will accept any advice, just like indiscriminately. Uh, okay. So that's adventurous. Send them my way because I'm <laughs> um, struggling a little bit. <laughs> the struggle is real. The struggle is so mm-hmm. in my face this week. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah. Whatever. I wish I had time to think about stuff like that. See, you know what? Maybe I need to get my ass in gear. And it's a luxury, okay? It is a luxury and a privilege to be like, oh, what shall I choose to do with my life? Because I have so many choices and much, much resources. Like, you're right. It's so annoying to hear someone say that. I um, I mean, I'm busy, like, cleaning out my kid's closet. And I'd love to buy a new home, but the housing market in Austin is like ridiculous. Oh my gosh. I don't even want to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. It makes you so mad. You don't even want to talk about it. Nope. I don't. I don't want to talk about it. It's okay. Anyways, Miss Luxury. Oh, Mm -hmm. are you having a Gucci emergency? (laughs) I'm having a Gucci emergency. What's a Gucci emergency? I don't know. But I love it. I mean, but it sounds like something like really, you know, bougie people would say. <laughs> oh my God, I'm having a Gucci emergency. Uh-huh. I don't know what to do. I'm, a- <laughs> I'm having a Gucci emergency. Okay, so I have to, I have an announcement. Yes. So um, I know that we've talked about skincare and um Yes. Your obsession has turned into mine, and I am thrusting this obsession onto anyone who will listen now. I think everyone I know is just going to be like Sephora cart full. <laughs> and then just take a picture of it and send it to me like I did to you. And I'm like, this is your fault. Blame me. I accept. Mm-hmm. We are bringing better skin mm-hmm. and, I mean, a better life to so I'm- many. I'm not kidding. I feel like my skin has improved exponentially. Mm -hmm. If I could add more letters to that word, I would. Exponentially. (laughs) (laughs) That was a sure there. No, the mass. <laughs> oh my gosh, oh, we're so far off topic. <laughs> I know. Okay, we're gonna bring it back and we're gonna fly through these 18 pages of notes I put down. Um, I know you did. So on to the matter at hand. Yes. It is a subject near and dear to my heart because oh, I'm so excited about this. I I am very aware that this is going on because it's like in my face almost on the daily. Mm-hmm. And it causes me much stress and much heartburn and is 
kind of the reason that I was thrown into an existential crisis this week, and that is medical misogyny. Mm-hmm. So before we start talking about it, let's define a few key terms here. Misogyny. This is from the Oxford Languages definition. Misogyny is a dislike of, contempt for, or ingrained prejudice against women. Boo. I know. Boo. Mm-hmm. Thumbs down. Mm-hmm. Um, another term we need to define is paternalism. Mm-hmm. In, in any setting, but especially in medicine. So this is also from the Oxford Languages definition. Paternalism, the policy or practice on the part of people in positions of authority of restricting the freedom and responsibilities of those subordinate to them in the subordinate's supposed best interest. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Let, hey, layman's terms real quick for those who need it. Someone in a position of authority is like, mm-hmm. don't worry, honey. I know what you need. Ah. No need to tell me what you want. Mm-hmm. I know what you need. Right. So and is, is this specific to man, like gender or? Yeah, you're exactly thinking right. Okay. Um, it's rooted in, in, in the male, in male, okay. as is everything else, as we will find out. Mm. Medical misogyny, mm-hmm. in this is my definition, mm-hmm. is an act of paternalism on the part of a medical professional in which exposes their deeply rooted misogyny to everyone but themselves. So second definition, just to put it in layman's terms, Mm -hmm. some asshat with a medical degree making decisions for you because you're just a woman. And how could you possibly know what you want for your own goddamn body, let alone what is best for your own goddamn body? So just let me, the asshat physician, make that decision for you without your explicit consent. Oof. That's medical misogyny. And it is happening. Because I know better. I know what's best. Better than you. Hmm. Case in point. And this is what I read that really set me off. You were gonna say something. I feel like I've had this happen to me. Okay. Crazy. Well, like when I went to the radiation oncologist Mm -hmm. and they made me wait almost half an hour to see the physician who I found out while I was waiting was just then reviewing my, you know, images and, and reports. So I waited and then this said person, I'm not going to say their name or male or female, doesn't matter, Mm. Um, sat down and told me what I needed as far as radiation and literally seemed like they were ready to close the book after they told me what I needed and just be like, okay, so basically my schedule will talk to you and you're going to, you know, schedule your first appointment. I was like, but wow, but wait. But why? Where did you arrive at your conclusion? And she, oops. Spoiler. They men can be misogynists too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, I really threw her off by asking that. Like, yeah. and what made you f- determine that from the information that was shared? And she 
didn't have a good answer for me. Didn't I have a good answer for me. Well, this is my recommendation. And I was like, but why? Because I said so. It, in short, I mean, I think that she thought I was just going to take that as an answer. Wow. And it, I was just shocked. Which is revealing, right? Mm-hmm. Because what does that tell you? Most people probably do just take that as an answer. Um, yes. And now I, after the fact, I understand a little bit more of if they don't make the recommendation and they don't treat you, then there could be said lawsuits if you end up with something that their treatment would have um, helped. Apparent or, or that's what I understood um, later of why sometimes these recommendations are made. Now, now not I, and I'm not speaking for healthcare across the board. Of course, there's mm -hmm. plenty of healthcare that people absolutely need, and and some people are absolutely going to need those treatments. And your physician should be able to give you the clinical reason why you need those treatments. Yes. They yes. should be able to provide you information to make a a sound decision for yourself, and yes. they should wait on that decision. <laughs> they should not jump <laughs> to a conclusion. <laughs> right. Tell um, you, with every chemo drug that I received, I received a full printout on that drug mm -hmm. and proof in writing that it was indicated for my specific kind of cancer. For radiation, I had a consultation and it was very much, is this something you'd like to proceed with? Here are the statistics, here mm -hmm. are the benefits, here are the risks. Mm -hmm. My surgery, all of it, mm -hmm. it was very much in my hands. In fact, I remember being a little overwhelmed with the idea that I had to make that choice for myself, especially when it came to whether or not I would do a contralateral um, prophylactic mastectomy, which we're going to talk about here. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember being a little overwhelmed and, and almost wanting someone to just tell me what to do. But of course, yeah. I didn't want that. Right. I wanted to make my own decisions. But it's wild to me. And this happens and it persists. Mm -hmm. It persists. I, I don't even think I recognized what was happening, but I think. Well, that's not true because I was already upset that, that the physician was making me wait and it made me very clear, like I was forced to be prepared for that meeting because they said, you need to come with this and you need to be on time and you need to arrive early. You need to fill out these documentation, you know, and they weren't prepared for me. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, now I really need to ask some questions. <laughs> Yeah, mm -hmm. because it doesn't instill you with a sense of confidence, mm -hmm. especially when they just take it for granted that you're going to take whatever they recommend to you on faith. And look, not everybody needs the full research article like I'm right. going to read, it, but not everybody needs that. Not everybody needs a full like breakdown. There are right. people who are going to look, you're my doctor and I trust you. Tell me what I need to do. And right. then the doctor will say, this is my recommendation. But. You and that's perfectly fine. If you had just yeah. met this person, 
Yeah. And yeah, it was very strange. It sounds strange to me. Mm-hmm. It sounds very strange to me. The the story that set me off though is oh, this story. Yeah. I knew we want I knew I wanted to talk about this and I figured that I would find a few things to like talk about, but oh my God. Okay. The in Cosmopolitan, <laughs> like the magazine, mm-hmm. there's some really great investigative journalism going on over at Cosmo. Let me tell you right now, it's really? not just seven different ways to have an orgasm anymore. This is like, this is everything now. So this is, this is from a 2018 from the online journal, but um, journal magazine. Um, Kim Bowles. Kim Bowles is a woman who in 2016 was diagnosed with stage 3A breast cancer. And all things considered, she opted to go flat. Mm -hmm. She was very clear about this. With her surgeon, she wanted to go flat. And her surgeon decided otherwise without telling her. Oh my gosh. She woke up from surgery with extra skin hanging. It, the full article, which if you just Google, well, I'll link it in the notes, but if you Google Kimball's breast cancer cosmopolitan, you know, like the story will come up. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you how careful she was to make sure this didn't happen. She had read a story about a woman named Becky Fitz. Mm-hmm. And that woman had told this exact story that the surgeon left her with extra skin despite her desire to go flat. And the surgeon's reasoning was in case you change your mind someday. Wow. Yeah. And so she, this is how thorough Kim Bowles was after reading that because it was before she had had her surgery and she was freaked out. So she told her surgeon, she wrote a letter. She put it in writing wow. because she reading all these horror stories about going flat. And we know that reconstruction of breasts is heavily emphasized over an aesthetic flat closure. Right. I didn't even know what an aesthetic flat closure was until some lovely women on Instagram educated me. I had no idea. And so she put it in writing. She brought her husband with her to the surgeon's office to have a witness to it. She signed a consent for uh, an aesthetic flat closure. And in her story, in her retelling of it, as she was being put under in surgery, her surgeon leaned over and said, I'm just gonna leave you with a little extra skin in case you change your mind. She remembers saying no twice, and then she was fucking put to sleep. And that fucker did this to her. No. Yes, yes. Wow. Yeah. Even though she did everything right. And the article goes on to describe, and this I put in quotes because this is directly lifted from the article. Women who have stated their intention to go flat report that doctors can be pretty explicit in their anti-flat bias. In one case, a woman surgeon called her at home the night before her surgery, begging her to change her mind, saying she was too young to live without breasts. Another said her doctor implied she'd never be able to get married if she didn't opt for faux boobs over going flat. What? Yes. Oh, yes. I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps. And it's not cold in here. It is. 
I'm having a hot flash and goosebumps at the same time. It's unthinkable and it happens. Oh my and God. It happens. And if you're thinking, okay, fine, I'll just get a female surgeon then. Good luck with that because only 15% of general surgeons are women and only 13% of plastic surgeons are women. And if you're thinking, oh man, I bet that surgeon really got in trouble, right? No, no, think again. The hospital, the hospital that employs that surgeon that operated on Kimball's, they gave the following statement to Cosmo, investigative journalists over at Cosmo, when they reached out, quote, Taking care of patients is our top priority. In this instance, Ms. Bowles chose to have a double mastectomy after having chemotherapy for her tumor. Per her wishes, she opted not to have further surgical revisions that are common, that are common for patients who have had mastectomies. The physicians involved in her care have outstanding reputations and are highly skilled. We conducted three thorough reviews relating to her concerns and shared with her that it was determined every aspect of her care was done optimally to give her the safest amount of extra skin to prevent jeopardizing her arm movement, which is absolute, complete, categorical bullshit and any woman who has had an aesthetic like flat closure any surgeon who knows anything about aesthetic flat closures will tell you that leaving extra skin in that area does nothing for your range of motion that's a complete bullshit statement and this is this is a hospital upholding a medical misogynist wow and it makes me so mad because <laughs> this is what I experienced in my life working yeah. in a hospital for the last 10 years, working in a clinic before that. I see this. I don't see literally surgeons whisper into women's ears like, I'm going to do whatever the hell I think is best regardless of your wishes before they, you know, are put under. I don't see that necessarily. Right. <laughs> certainly see male physicians asserting their will and judgment over existing policies and procedures and being protected for it. And it's especially scary when we're talking about women's bodies and parts of women's bodies yeah. that are perceptible to others. Kim Bowles and Becky Fitz both do not have an aesthetically pleasing result and now they're faced with a choice of having to go under and have another surgery. Yeah. Which is not nothing, especially if you don't react well to surgeries and everything right. that goes into that. Yeah. For someone to go beyond, you know, the patient's specific choice. Yeah. Um, seems really, I'm, it seems outlandish and it seems impossible mm -hmm. until you start breaking down the system in which it happened. And you think, how did we get to such an extreme example of paternalistic misogyny in medicine? And is it just a one or two off or three off? I do not think so. And here is why I don't think so. We're going to get into it. This idea of misogyny in medicine and the negative effects that it has on women is especially true for women of color. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And we can't talk about medical misogyny without talking about that. A now famous article in Vogue with tennis legend and arguably the greatest athlete of all time, Serena Williams, mm-hmm. exposed the way in which intersectionality, the intersectionality of being both a woman and black, exposes you to a very special variety of racist misogyny that will oh literally God. try to kill you. A study at the National Cancer Institute reported data on breast cancer between 1995 and 2014. They pulled this this, um, retrospective data and they found that black women were twice as likely to die of breast cancer as compared to their white counterparts for the same diagnosis um, for those diagnosed under the age of 40. And if you're thinking, oh man, that's really bad luck for them. (laughs) The study also concluded that there were disparities in both the prognostic indicators and the treatment patterns between black and white women diagnosed with breast cancer and that these disparities were significant enough that they literally stated in the research article, something needs to change. Wow. That's really significant. Yeah. And when you think, oh, things are surely better now, that was way back in 2004, according to the American Cancer Society, mortality rates between 2012 to 2016 are 40% mm-hmm. higher for black women than white women when wow. all of those are considered equally. It's still, you are 40% more likely to die of breast cancer for no good goddamn reason, simply because you are a black woman. No other reason. I mean, does that have... I just, I'm like, I'm so mm-hmm. speechless. And I mean, is that, I can't even finish a sentence. <laughs> I, my I knew, mind is like, I'm trying. Yeah. I, I knew that statistic in my head because mm-hmm. uh, I've seen it before. I've seen it in other things though. I know that I've seen it for cardiac disease. For sure. Women are more likely to die of an MI than men just women across the board. Um, and I, I imagine you mean myocardial infraction and MI? Yes, which, um, uh, which heart attack, mean? a yes. myocardial infarction. Your infarction, myocardium right. is literally translated to be the muscles of your heart, which are different from the other muscles in your body, infarcts, mm-hmm. which is dies, infarct. <laughs> Myocardial infarction is just a fancy way of saying your heart stops physically beating. Because you got two things going on with your heart, right? You've got the actual physical action of the muscles, but then you need the electrical current that runs like on a pattern through it, on a cycle that tells the uh, muscles to contract. So you can have two malfunctions. This is highly simplified but you can have a malfunction with the electrical current and then it either causes um the muscles to all fire at the same time or incongruence so that blood kind of backs up or you can have those electrical impulses firing but your but your your muscles do not respond in either case you're probably gonna die Uh, (laughs) not necessarily with um you know you can convert someone who's in a bad cardiac rhythm that's what yeah. the actual like defibrillators are for. Have you ever seen like on let's or a just cardioversion? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. See, you know fancy words too. I Sit know. No, no myocardial infarction. Oh, don't mind me. I'm just pretty. I don't know nothing about myocardial infarction. <laughs> no, it's just I speak hospital. I told you I speak hospital. That's all I speak. You really do. You absolutely do speak hospital. Speak hospital. Anyway. So, anyways. Yes. So it's really messed up in medicine. Yeah. We know that in these studies, there are differences in treatment modalities. Um, and we know there are difference in accesses, access to care. And we also know that both of those things are driven by the cultural disparities that we create based on race. So right. any way you try and slice this, mm-hmm. it is racism. Right. And it is misogyny. Right. Um, so not cool. Medical no. misogyny, as it is related to the contralateral prophylactic mastectomy. Because look, we're only gonna find a certain number of stories about women who wanted to go flat and their surgeons were like, but boobs are good, I like boobs. Horrible. Mm -hmm. But can we, those seem like probably extreme examples to people and they might be like, well, there's gonna be a bad egg in the the bushel, you know, and the rest of the pears go rotten. damn chickens like i don't know but something about that metaphor but can we look at something that's more common right to really illustrate why someone who would do that to a woman would be protected right and abused and and allowed to continue to practice just out of curiosity when i'm curious how many women out there you know, really had to think about whether they wanted reconstruction or not. You know, like I'm There's an interesting that I don't know if I put on here, but up to 50% of women choose not Mm -hmm. to reconstruct. That's across the lifespan. So I I imagine that might look different if we looked at women under 40 Mm -hmm. who choose not to do reconstruction, but only a lot of women. No, and I feel like, and I think this has a lot to do with breast cancer being very um, calm, like not common, but well, it's common, but also like just talked about generally, like in the general public, it's, it's, um, you know, it's not something that is taboo. It's something that, you know, I mean, even high school football teams have pink outs. Okay. Yeah. So let's. But, but the, that's what I'm saying. Yes. The kind of breast cancer that they're doing that for, though, is very specific. Right. It's stage one or two. It's not metastatic. Yeah. And it's women with reconstructed breasts. Right. Well, and that's what I'm wondering is, are there other women out there that ended up having breast reconstruction that were really considering the latter? Um, you know, was... And I get it because that's a hard decision to make. Considering Um, how much like traditional reconstruction is pushed, mm -hmm. I would be surprised if we didn't find women who were like talked into it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For, yeah. For lack of a more nuanced term. Yeah. Talked into it. Yeah. Absolutely. And also, and we'll talk about this more um, on another show that uh, the working title of which is uh, Killjoy Feminist. (laughs) 
um, the expectation of the female breast culturally and what it means, especially the different kinds and how you're at once supposed to have these young perky breasts that don't at all um, match your age and really are the, the perfect breasts are more um, likened to like young women not certainly not sexually um experienced women and yet those are the most sexualized forms of breasts mm -hmm. and then also you're supposed to be a mother and feed your children with your breasts and if you don't you're shamed for that so the breasts have to be these completely innocuous uh non-sexual mm -hmm. like utilitarian leaders of our of our future men and women of america <laughs> and and at the same time be plaything fun bags for men so uh, it just it's a real catch-22 <laughs> you know have breasts but don't show your nipples mm -hmm. breastfeed your children because that's not sexual but cover yourself up as though you're not doing it so that right. i don't have to look at your like there's no winning there is yeah. no winning for breasts yeah so Anyway, the the contralateral prophylactic mastectomy is a hot button issue, and I believe that the rise in what we refer to as CPM is directly rooted in misogyny, and I'll explain why. In a 2017 study, it was concluded that even as evidence to support CPM, so the contralateral prophylactic mastectomy, having a mastectomy on the boob that is not affected without any genetic like predisposition, without like all of the markers that people would say, just like, get rid of that thing. The, the evidence to support a CPM is that actually at an all time low, but the practice of CPM more than tripled over the same time period that the study was conducted. Whoa. So as evidence for CPM is going down, the actual practice of women having a mastectomy on their unaffected breast is mm -hmm. tripled. Wow. Why? So you think this is strange. Does this have to do with age? No, it's adjusted for age. You think this is strange until you read the press release about this article's findings from Mira Golshin, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I did try to figure that out. Um, they're the medical director of international oncology programs at Dana-Farber Brigham and Women's Cancer Center. And they are the lead author on this study that found that as evidence went down, rates went up. But this is what they said in a press release. This is a man, by the way. Like, you have to really hear the subtext of this statement. Okay. When we're talking about the study. Understanding why women choose to undergo CPM may create an opportunity for healthcare providers to optimally counsel women about surgical options, address anxieties, discuss individual preferences, and ensure peace of mind related to a patient's surgical choice. What? I have a question. Raising my hand. <laughs> I have a, I... What the fuck? What in the actual fuck? This is, you are a doctor. I have seen evidence in research in this study mm -hmm. that the chance of recurrence in the contralateral breast for those that fit into that category of no genetic markers and then of a certain age, our age, 
it can be as low as 1%. Wow. And women are still choosing to have a mastectomy on that side. And then this person comes out and, and starts talking about anxieties. What? And individual preference. It's especially damning in light of the fact that other cancer guidelines like those for thyroid cancer don't contain any kind of language about anxieties or preferences when changing the standards to follow the research. There That's used to weird. be this thing that they thought was thyroid cancer. We used to treat it like thyroid cancer and then we found out it's not. Mm -hmm. And so the guidelines changed. And we certainly don't still treat it like cancer just because we used to and just because people are anxious about the idea that we that it used to be called cancer, but now it's technically not. Why is it going up? Why aren't surgeons, because here's what I suspect. Yeah. Why aren't surgeons having conversations with women that make it clear that the literature does not support mm -hmm. the cutting of healthy tissue? And I know this is an incredibly personal choice, yeah. obviously. And it is still a woman's choice. But what I'm not talking about an individual person here. I'm talking about as a group, mm -hmm. it's tripled when the evidence is going down. Somebody's not doing their damn job informing women yeah. about the actual statistics of this. And they are just happy to let it's so weird that they're happy to let us make decisions based on anxieties instead of trusting us with actual facts but then making decisions for our bodies when actual facts exist. It's all filtered through the male mind. I'm, my head hurts. <laughs> With my this. heart hurts. <laughs> it's just. My heart hurts for women who had a contralateral mastectomy when they didn't need to, lost sensation mm -hmm. in a breast that they could have preserved. And there right. are a lot of reasons why you would preserve sensation in a breast. A lot of fucking reasons, mostly fucking reasons. <laughs> but I just, it, it's unfathomable to me that there are people out there making decisions for women's bodies and then in turn not informing them enough to trust them to make their own goddamn decisions for their own bodies. Yeah. I think that I think the idea of um, the anxiety of having cancer in one side. Yeah. I think at least for me, because um, I cannot speak for others. I just can't. And I can understand the fear of, is it going to come back? Because when they say breast cancer, um, yeah. you're like, well, I have two of these suckers. It's the scariest shit. Exactly. Yeah. And you're like, okay, so I have it in one, but the other one's just right there. Oh, close. <laughs> it's right there. It's just right there. Is it going to hop over there yeah. or, you know, catch a bus on the weekend? <laughs> I wouldn't need a bus. It's just going to cross the street. <laughs> like literally just reach out and touch it. Do you when know, I found like my immediate response was take them both. That's so funny. And I was so confident. I was so confident in that response. I think that that is very common to say. Yes. And then I had a conversation with my surgeon. Mm -hmm. but my see, I excellent, excellent male surgeon. 
when you talk about the difference between breast cancer and even thyroid cancer, yeah, I don't think that people see that in the same, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it shouldn't be looked at differently, but it is because I, mean, I think, well, the old school approach was to remove them both. Again, there were things we thought were thyroid cancer that now we know better. Right. We used to do like what we're called. We used to do so many fucked up sh shit to women's bodies. I mean, women used to have like this entire area of their body carved out, what used mm -hmm. to be referred to as the radical mastectomy. Yeah. And if you ever want to have a fun time going down a Google rabbit hole, just mm -hmm. look into like the things we used to do to women's bodies in the 50s and the 60s mm -hmm. and even the 70s when they had breast cancer. And of course, things have changed. We mm -hmm. don't have to cut out all that healthy tissue anymore. Right. We, we have these other modalities. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that we would continue to do that, that went on, that radical mastectomy, that, that procedure went on far too long. Mm -hmm. And it was based on the anxieties of medical practitioners back then, just worrying mm -hmm. that they would like get it all. And, and that's what we can't let fuel every decision. Mm -hmm. And if you make that decision to have a CPM, great, but make sure you're making that decision with all the information at hand. Right. My surgeon talked to me about this and he's an excellent surgeon and I see no evidence of misogyny in him from my personal experience, which I feel very fortunate to say. But he mm -hmm. said, look, he said he told me about this article way back then. And he mm -hmm. said, there's emergent research out there that says that a contralateral prophylactic mastectomy is not supported by the literature. It doesn't decrease your chances of getting breast cancer because look, when you get breast cancer the second time, mm -hmm. it can come back anywhere. Right. Not breast just cancer is just as likely to come back in your spine mm -hmm. as it is in your breast mm -hmm. because it's the type of cell right. where the cancer originated, not the yeah. location right. for that second time. And yeah. once you understand that and you look at the literature for that, and he said, you need to make this decision. And he told me, he said, some women know the facts around this and they choose to have it anyway, because they're the ones that have to live with their bodies every day. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that have to mitigate, like you said, that anxiety. And mm -hmm. if you can't wrap your head around the concept, if you're just going to be thinking about this breast all the time and like mm -hmm. searching for lumps constantly and like, I get that. That's a personal yeah. choice. Yeah. But he made me think about it and he made me look at the evidence and he trusted mm -hmm. me with the facts. Right. And he said some women choose this just to lower their anxiety. He said, and yeah. for a lot of women, it really does. Yeah. He said, so that's not to dismiss the importance of that because anxiety right. kills you stress is a killer yes but he said i i look at that breast and i see healthy tissue mm -hmm. and i don't want to cut out healthy tissue mm -hmm. unless you're telling me that's what you want me to do right so wow you know and then ultimately i made that decision for myself and ultimately right. my surgery did exactly what I told him to do. Right. And that's how it's supposed to go. Yeah. You present women with the evidence. And I do not believe 
that women fully informed of all the evidence are still getting CPMs at three times the rate. Yeah. I do not buy it. Somebody is not doing their job. Right. And in fact, a ton of somebodies are not doing their job. Mm-hmm. This to me is an indication of a systemic problem. And that is that women as patients are dismissed. Mm-hmm. Their need for knowledge is dismissed. Their symptoms are dismissed. Their complaints of pain are dismissed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, we know that to be true. So why would that be any different in this instance? It's not. Right. No. So we can't talk about medical misogyny without talking about the intersectionality of being a woman of color in America. So there are two things that we're going to learn today in this BSA. The first thing is the term intersectionality. Intersectionality. Coined by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989 to describe, quote, how race, class, gender, and other individual characteristics intersect with one another and overlap. And actually, if you have not watched Kimberly Crenshaw's TED Talk, just stop listening to us right now, please. And go to your Google and just um, type in Kimberly, like Kimberly with an E at the end instead of a Y, Crenshaw with a C, TED Talk. And just watch. It's like 15 minutes long. And it is something I had no idea existed. It is really eye-opening and something you should definitely, definitely be aware of. It's, it's life-changing. The second thing you need to know about is Henrietta Lacks. Yep. You know about Henrietta Lacks? I do now. Henrietta Lacks was an African-American tobacco farmer from Virginia who in 1951 was diagnosed with cervical cancer. After being used for the purposes of diagnosis, her cells were then used without her knowledge or consent. On multiple, multiple, multiple experiments and research, she is considered the mother of modern medicine. That is her title. Her cells, which were patented HeLa cells, H-E-L-A, HeLa cells, they are part of no less than 17,000 patents. So HeLa meaning Henrietta, H-E, and Lax, L-A? Yes. Those fuckers even named it after her. And she died shortly after her diagnosis, um, I think months afterwards. But her family were never told they were using her cells. And if you don't understand like how widespread this is, Henrietta Lacks' cells were used in the in the development of vaccines, IVF technology, 17,000 patents. This wow. is millions of dollars they made off of her cells because they did act differently than other cells that they had used before. Um, that would just kind of die off and her cells would live like for days and days in these different um, experiments that I really don't understand very well, to be honest. In 1973, they even went to her children to get their cells. What? Yes, it's so messed up. Anyway, wow. into it. And you know what? They would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for Rebecca Skloot who brought this to light in her 2010 book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. And now, now multiple, multiple bioethic laws have been put in place as a direct result of this happening to Henrietta Lacks and her family. Two members of the Lacks family sit on the U.S. National Institute of Health working group that grants permission to access Hella's sequence information. Wow. You know what? 
this happened at John Hopkins Hospital. So I went to their website to see like, okay, John Hopkins, you going to say anything about it? Because Johns Hopkins is a big deal. I yeah. They're the people who are tracking the COVID-19 information. Like they're very trusted and, and reputable. However, I found their tribute page to Henry Lacks to be a just slight, slightly dismissive, <laughs> slightly, slightly. Really? Yeah, they were like, well, it's a common practice at the time to just steal people's cells and use them without their consent. But that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Certainly, that was probably the case for African-American individuals. And they're quick to point out that they were one of the only hospitals that would provide care to African-Americans. But I just feel like that's a really low fucking bar, Johns Hopkins. Anyway... Oof. From Henrietta to the Tuskegee Airmen to multiple, multiple other incidences of us experimenting on people of color without their permission, knowledge, or consent, understand how the history of medicine has contributed to the current state of poor medical outcomes for those who are non-white cis-het males. To that point, in a 2010 qualitative study, so this is a qualitative study of 70 African-American participants who were put into separate focus groups. Mm -hmm. And a qualitative study is just basically people talking usually about how they feel about things. It's a survey or it's a focus group or it's an interview. Um, and they found that the mistrust of the medical community among the black community continues to this day and is a significant barrier to participation in medical research gi can't imagine why wow yeah representation is important in all areas but especially in medical research as this will determine medical interventions and ultimately outcomes and we'll talk about this more later on and you will see why it is so important to have representation in medical research because when you don't bad things happen to the demographic of people who are left out. And we see this with women and we'll talk about that more. But to put it in very current context, just to bring this full circle, understand that the hesitation and suspicion of something like the COVID-19 vaccine, for example, right. among the black community and other communities of color is not an indication that there is a problem with that community. It is very much representative of a problem with racism and misogyny in the medical community. And that is an important distinction because it denotes that it is the responsibility of the white people, not BIPOC people, to fix this issue. Right. We created this distrust. We created these disparities in healthcare literacy, in access, in treatment modalities. We did that. So for, I, I, I it, It really annoys me when I read these news articles and they're like, oh, members of the black community are sus still suspicious and like, and it's like, yeah, no, duh. Like, <laughs> we did that. Every news article needs to take on the responsibility of understanding that the burden of dismantling an oppressive system lies with the oppressor. Right. Not the victims of that oppression. And if you're a white person who is not doing anything about this, then you're literally doing nothing about this. And that is a problem. What you allow is what will continue. Back to the show. So this deeply ingrained systemic misogyny is not a fluke of the medical system. It is a feature. 
Women have missed out on hundreds of years of medical research by being completely left out of studies and trials, in some cases up until the last 30 years, and were only included then because women campaigned for the right to be included. Right. In 1993, the FDA and the NIH, it's crazy, 1993. Yeah, yeah. We had cars in phones. (laughs) A car and a phone. We had phones in cars in in Mm -hmm. 1993. Think about that. And that is when the FDA and the NIH mandated the inclusion of women in clinical trials. Before then, you didn't have to have a single woman. And in fact, between the years of 1970 and 1990, these organizations and many other national and international regulators forbade women of so-called childbearing years from participating in early stage drug trials. What? Yeah, because, you know, it might mess up their ability to bear our children. So why would we include them? We're just protecting you. It's for your own protection. We know what's best for you. We know what's best for you and your body, which exists solely to propagate the species, after which we can just, you know, crumple you up and throw you away like the trash that you are. So yeah, you might be thinking, I mean, big fucking deal. So young women didn't participate in these drug trials. Well, if you want to see how the downstream effect of that plays out, of the 10 prescription drugs taken off the market by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration between 1997 and 2000 due to severe adverse effects, eight, eight of the 10 caused greater health risks in women. That's why they didn't want them involved. Well, that's, that is the problem with not right. including them because yeah. you would have found out before that drug went to market that there is something fundamentally wrong with the way it interacts with female bodies. Mm-hmm. A 2018 study found that this was the result of serial, serial, I'm hungry, serious, I love cereal. I love cereal. so good. I love the sugary ones with the, um, like they have the crunchy bits in there that is covered with sugar, but then they have actual bits that are only sugar, like um, Lucky Charms. Classic. Classic. A 2018 study found that this was the result of serious male biases in basic preclinical and clinical research. It wasn't just that women weren't like participating in the drug trial. It's that women mm-hmm. weren't even part of the design. Wow. There was no insight, no insight whatsoever. And when you're left out, when you are not represented in any stage of medicine, that's going to show up as poor outcomes for you. And we see that in communities of color because they are intensely underrepresented in these clinical trials, including for the COVID vaccine. Mm. And because human factor is one of the most difficult things to predict, it is right. the thing. It's we have certain research and trials. Right. If we could take human factor out of it, we get the same result every time because that's time. just math. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. why these humans need to be involved. It affects female physicians too. So this is happening to us as patients who are women. Right. Mm-hmm. Also happening to women operating inside the system. Physicians who are also women get paid less than their male counterparts. They receive harsher evaluations of performance by their attending physicians. The attending physician is like the physician in charge of all the other physicians. 
Women physicians are routinely mistaken for nurses in hospital settings. No shade to nurses. What, what? Male nurses, on the other hand, are routinely mistaken for physicians. Weird. It happens all the time. Anecdotally, really? on the unit where I work. Yes, I have a handful. Actually, I have more than a handful of, of male nurses, and they are routinely routinely mistaken by our patients for doctor even after they explain to the patient that they are not a doctor right that they're they're nurse hey i have a question about that yeah so would you say that that is something of the older generation because i remember as a kid my doctor was a male yeah and but now like or maybe it's just me. I make sure that my kids go to physicians that are both male and female and also of different races. I actually very specifically have chosen certain like dentists or orthodontists or um, primary care of different gender and races on purpose. I think though I know that sounds maybe a little bit too far into it, but I've done that for my kids. I don't think so. And I don't ascribe to this idea that like what what do the white nationalists call it? Um <laughs> which will be one of the only times I ask that question about anything. Uh um reverse racism. Oh yeah. The idea that um to shed light on something that is very much real and happening will somehow create an environment where we will overcorrect. Oh yeah. Favor that demographic of people over white people, which is funny because it's rather proving the point you're using white as the default still. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important because your children are not white. Mm-mm. And so it's very important for them to see that professionally not all doctors are white men. No, but I mean, I do, like I said, purposely. Um, yeah. And I mix it up. <laughs> you know, I do. I I think it's important for them to see women yes, in those roles, um, men is. in those roles, uh, women of different um, races and ethnicities and also men in different races and ethnicities in those roles. I yes. think it's important because I, and maybe that has something to do with my kids being multiracial that I want you them to see boys. You <laughs> have like this incredible task ahead of you to make sure that they don't turn into garbage adult male humans that can't call women on the street that try to touch them that like (laughs) you're doing the thing that like you're the kind of person who should have children (laughs) you're aware of these things you're like not on my watch you're not going to become a single-minded white supremacist you know like (laughs) Androgynist, paternalistic, even casually racist person. Like, but that's the thing is the default in a lot of these systems is very racist. It just is, you know? And it's not like the ultimate insult to say that. It just that is by design because that is where we have come from. And we haven't done any substantial work to dismantle that. So you as an individual 
like consumer of healthcare, mm-hmm. you have to dismantle that yourself. And that's yeah. the unfortunate about it. You shouldn't have to be thinking so hard about bringing diversity into the kind of care that's provided to your family. But you have to because it's not just going to happen. Right. And it is rooted in racism and white nationalism. So check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, so <laughs> women physicians, was that what we were talking about? They have to endure. Oh my God, this was so fun. Okay. <laughs> I was reading, <laughs> I was just looking up like um, research articles on a database and I found this research article um, talking about this issue with women having to endure the kind of the indignity of being mistaken for a nurse, not because they undervalue the role of the nurse, but because of the obvious misogyny at play, the idea that you couldn't possibly be a physician because you are a woman and what that means, the hierarchy of that, what that means in in the patient. Mm -hmm. So if you also would like the privilege of reading what is probably the saltiest and most entertaining academic uh, dressing down in human history, first read, um, there's a physician that kind of gave some advice Mm -hmm. on how to navigate those waters when you're mistaken as a woman Mm -hmm. for a nurse. Unfortunately, (laughs) this advice was coming from a male physician who maybe had overestimated uh, the level to which, maybe the level of his wokeness. Potentially. Um, (laughs) So you read it and you're like, yeah, something's a little off about this, but I couldn't quite place it. And Uh I was just like, it was like a table of all these different approaches. And I was like, well, I won't really use many of those. Um, It is a male physician straight up mansplaining how women physicians can respond to patients when they mistake them for nurses. And then after you read that, I linked it in the show notes, so so you check it out. After you read that, please do yourself a favor and read the absolute, oh my God, this fucking queen, Linfa Stroud, and I really hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but Dr. Linfa Stroud, her response, it is, and I don't say this lightly, utter perfection, and I want to be her friend and her pupil in all things. Oh, all things because now I've got to read this. Let me read you an excerpt. Okay. It's perfection. You have to read his first and like truly absorb all of what that is. Mm-hmm. Here's an excerpt from her that I found um particular like just the seasoning of this is this is like that expensive salt that you get at Whole Foods, right? Ooh, um, like Himalayan pink salt. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is that nice shit. Um, here's the excerpt. The article's whimsical tone makes light of the real day-to-day struggles of women in medicine. These challenges are not easily overcome by a few pithy phrases crafted by a senior male colleague who, by virtue of being a man, has never had to contend with sexism or the toll it can exact. Oh, boom. I love her. Boom. He's dead somewhere. Somewhere this man (laughs) dropped dead. Rest in pieces, man, because you got blown to bits by this woman. 
Oh my God. I was sitting in front of my laptop cackling, cackling. It's one of the best things I've read in a long time. I've read Lindy West. So like high fucking bar. Yeah. Um, I love intelligent women like that. I just, I, please, Dr. Lymphostroud. Graceful. So just artful. Mm-hmm. That is art. That is science. That is wonderful response. All of it. Um, all I want to know, Dr. Stroud, is do you have a church where I can give you 10% of my earnings forever? Because you're my God. <laughs> I just amazing amazing do yourself a favor and read that full experience i don't understand why it's not everywhere and why it's not like a viral sensation um there was a delta flight where the flight attendant said one of the passengers was having a medical emergency and she said i need a doctor and dr cox raised her hand and she said i'll get to you in a minute but right now i need a doctor and the woman said, I am a doctor. Oh, no. And this woman was, wait for it, a black woman. So however bad you think it is for women doctors, just multiply that exponentially for women doctors of color. Um, misogyny is so deeply embedded in our everyday world that even our AI is sexist. So Dora Varga, who is a senior lecturer in um, medical humanities at Exeter, which is, I think, a school in the UK, I hope, I think. Uh, Anyway, Dora did an informal experiment using Google Translate. Okay. By typing in Hungarian words and letting Google Translate um, translate Hungarian to English. Now, Hungarian is a gender neutral language, so it has no gender pronouns. They don't use he or she at all. So when translating from Hungarian to English, mm-hmm. Google just chooses the pronouns for you. Oh. So here are the pronouns that auto populate. She is beautiful. He is clever he reads she washes the dishes he builds she sews he teaches she cooks he's researching she is raising a child he plays music she's a cleaner he is a politician he makes a lot of money she is baking a cake he's a professor she's an assistant well, I mean, Google's got it all backwards. <laughs> it's all backwards. The AI is sexist. Guess what know. year Dora mm. typed in Hungarian and got these results? I don't know if I want to know. Give me your best guess. 2019. 2021. No. She just did this like months ago. Like last. Yeah. Boo. 
basically in Hungarian, she typed in, they are beautiful, they are clever, they read, they wash the dishes. And then Google Translate assigns gender pronouns. Weird. Mm -hmm. But think about how often have you heard about the issue with there not being enough women in tech? Oh, yeah. And now think about the people who design this AI. My one of my very good friends is an engineer and yeah. she's very smart, very smart. Mm -hmm. And she was telling me that when she first started working for the place where she works, she was the only woman there, only woman. And she talked about how, you know, even when she was in school, she's so smart. Even when she was in school, she was like pretty much the only woman in the program and mm -hmm. how, you know, she had a hard time with places where she was working because they were so, um, just there's, a, there were only men and, yeah. um, you know, she said that now it is definitely different. Um, and she has more, there's definitely more women in her field, but, um, yeah, I, uh, that goes for a lot of like tech and a it, lot. I, I had no idea. Why, there's why that's why there are these initiatives like girls who code mm -hmm. where, you know, you have to push that you have to market that to girls because we don't live in a system. You either believe that there is some strange deficit in women where they're not able to be engineers, or you have to accept that the system does not promote that in our girls. Right. That is a misogynist system, a sexist system that looks at girls and goes, she is baking a cake. Right. I have to say, you know, I love looking at old history photos and things of that sort from when um, all of the men were at war and yeah. women started doing men's jobs. And yeah. I love like, I'm like, yes, finally, you know, look, we're, you know, we have our foot in, in the door and, and doing things that were strictly male driven. It Not only that, but those males learned how to do that job through mm -hmm. years and years of training. Yeah, Rosie the Riveter was like, oh, you need me to make these submarines? All right, I got it. Let me put my scarf on. And uh -huh. like, was it a week? Yeah. She's making waterproof casings for and, and making sure that the pressure won't like crush you like a tin can down there. Yeah, I think it. I mean, I just absolutely yeah. love that. They just slid right in. Mm-hmm and set the basis for the unequal pay that we're still experiencing today. But you know, not everybody's perfect. <laughs> it's, it is fundamentally systemically fucked as shit. Yeah. Just one more because this is the real topper. Okay. Ready for it. You're not even ready for this. Oh, I'm not ready for it. You're not even ready for this mm -hmm. A study literally titled. This was the literal title of the study. Oh, I don't know if I want to hear this. You do, but okay. you don't. 
attractiveness of women with rectovaginal endometriosis. What? Yeah. I am not making this shit up. Can you read that one more time? So a, a study that was literally titled Attractiveness of Women with Rectovaginal Endometriosis in which researchers, air quotes, but they were actual researchers, literally put as their objective statement, literally, this is in quotes, to evaluate physical attractiveness in women with and without endometriosis. What? That's weird. That was the objective. That's weird. I don't know what is worse, that this was an actual study that was literally conducted on 300 women or that it was actually fucking published in a real life journal or that after publication, the online journal actually tried to defend their publication of this study. Well, what were they trying to like prove with this? I don't understand. Like that. A, that link, a, a link, link between a tra physical attractiveness. And trust me when I say they became very elaborate in their measurement techniques, because yes, I did read this full thing and it is messed up. So I've, oh. it's worth noting that among the six authors, six authors mm -hmm. on this research, this very important research that they were doing, one is named Laura which doesn't definitively prove, but definitely suggests that where there was an actual human woman taking part in both the construction and the implementation and additionally the analysis of this research study, which makes an important point that women, and I'll say it again, can be misogynists too. That's so weird. Oh. Now I've seen, and um, you know, like a scientific study on attractiveness, like the measurements of the face and what babies are even attracted to, like, Absolutely. you know, the measurement between your eyes compared to mm -hmm. the measurement and facial symmetry and right. mathematically, this yes. is not that. Okay. Yeah. These were largely That's so objective of attractiveness as just determined by the researchers. That's weird. And, 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 I, I'm telling you, I read it and I still don't understand it. I don't understand how it got to do a research study. You have to have funding. Yeah. You have to have like people behind you saying, yes, mm -hmm. do this research. You have to sign people up to participate, which the article about this study makes clear that women really didn't understand that part of the study. Okay. Ethical issue much. Weird. Um, and you have to find a journal to accept it, to peer review it. So that means that this study was looked at by other professionals in the field, and then it is published. And then after people call on you to like, what the fuck were you thinking? They defend it. But in this article about it, shout out to my real life idol and occasional liker of my Instagram comments, Dr. Jen Gunter, for appearing in this article, exposing the misogyny of this research and calling on the online publication to be ashamed of themselves, which they obviously should. And they eventually did retract it. In fact, if you go to the link to read it, you could re the word retracted is in large uh, red letters across the page. So some of the, the article is actually obscured. It's actually hard to read the full thing that's so um, weird 
It's messed up. Do you know when that was done? Oh. When would you think it would have been appropriate? And like, uh, oh, never. Well, back then, that was a common no. practice of the time. No, never. Never. <laughs> 2013. Whoa, whoa. 2013 study. Oh. I mean, I thought it was at least going to start with a one. Hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Uh huh. <laughs> What's wrong with us? I Where did somebody get money to do all? Never mind. Don't ask. I don't want to know. Don't ask because I'll just get more upset. A system that allows this, a system that allows and protects this. By the way, it's not just the doing of the thing. It's not just the permission being given to do the thing. Whether that's just you know, a, a, a surgeon saying, I give myself permission to make alterations to a woman's body that she specifically, specifically objects to. Yeah. And my own paternalistic views of what's best for her body um, to people designing and implementing and, and publishing an article that objectifies women and tries to make it academic. That's um, so weird. It's weird. So weird. It's elaborate. And that it took so much to get that retracted and that there were likely very few barriers, if any, to bring that to publication. I mean, I don't need any if I if I did need any hard evidence that misogyny is well and good and alive and protected and promoted in at least the American system of medicine. I mean, that has got to be it. Not that I needed that. No, no thanks. I can tell you definitively that I see evidence of this on a near daily basis Ugh. in my own work environment and have done for the last 15 years. And it's wow. gross. And it's got me really in my head thinking, yeah. is do I want to fight this fight mm -hmm. for the rest of my natural life? Because the idea that something this ingrained and this elaborate and of such a longstanding history is going to get resolved within my lifetime is incredibly unlikely. Yeah. And I spend a lot of my fucking energy on it. Mm. And I don't, I just don't know how much longer <laughs> I can do that in a professional setting. And number yeah. one, remain employed. Um, because, you know, people don't like being told they're misogynists and people don't right. like being told that they uphold the ideology of paternalism, um, mm -hmm. which is quite literally what I told a surgeon on Monday. Oh. They don't like that. Mm -hmm. it, it goes against their I own opinion. I cannot believe that you, I had a very similar conversation um, about, you know, the women with the glass ceiling and, and financial. Um, I had a very loud conversation with someone that this last week about, I'm trying to get, I've been trying to get a project done in my department and I literally had the exact same meeting with 
two gentlemen who run other departments that I needed their support to complete my project, um, went through all, you know, what do I need to do to move forward? Nothing happened almost a year later. And a man who is my boss, he is, he's, he's a great boss, like my boss a lot. Um, I asked for his support. He had that exact same meeting with the exact same people. And now suddenly we have movement. Yeah. And yeah. I just, is it because I'm not a 6'2 male, you know, with a mustache, you know? <laughs> if it's a mustache you're looking for, I can make it happen. But unfortunately, you got to have a little more than that. I just, um, I've. I can only imagine what it's like to be a female physician um, mm -mm. in that kind of setting. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. Um, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. A hard pass on that. Yeah. Hard pass. Even though yeah. we need them, I need them. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. My plastic surgeon is a woman, even though that's representative of only, what was it, 13% mm -hmm. of practicing plastic surgeons. And I knew that I was going to go to a woman. I knew mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to go to a man because my year, and this is un, can be unfair because, and don't get me started on hashtag not all men, hashtag not all surgeons. Mm -hmm. um, I'll reference that later, but like, don't even fucking get me started. But I knew, I knew that a woman would listen to me mm -hmm. and give me the breasts that I wanted. Right. That I, that I wanted. Yeah. And that's what I got. I think a lot of women that find out that they have breast cancer. Um, I need, I can even speak for myself is I don't know what I wanted because one, I was shook by my diagnosis and yeah. two, um, if you go online and look at uh, patients who have like photos of patients who have had, you know, whether it be a bilateral mastectomy or whether it be deep flap or unilateral or whatever, I couldn't look at any of those pictures and like, yeah, that's the one I want. I want to look. <laughs> I don't want any of those. The the pictures of deep flap are horrifying. I'm because I'm, they're all like eight weeks post-op. I'm really, really serious when I say this is that I can completely relate with not being able to know what kind of decision to make because none of the options looked like something that I wanted to choose. Yeah. None but of the options. Let's consider that. Mm -hmm. Let's consider that we know that to yeah. be true. Yeah. How do we as medical professionals, I mean, speaking for myself, or even if you're just trying to like, imagine this from the viewpoint of a plastic surgeon, mm -hmm. you know, that woman is going to be shell shocked, you yeah. know, she's going to walk into the office and not know what she wants. And I was in those shoes. Like, yeah. how do you just decide what size breasts you want? <laughs> Considering the limitation, like, how do you know that? And 
my plastic surgeon had a lot of conversations with me about it. She asked me my lifestyle. What do you Mm -hmm. like to do? What do you do for fun? What do you do to work out? What do you like to, what what is your style like? Show me some outfits that you like to wear. How do you like? Yes. She went that far. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Good. You're good. And look, this is a, this is to me, the benefit of insight and the benefit of being an owner of a female body. Mm -hmm. You understand that there's so many steps you get to skip. And yeah. you get right to more nuanced stuff. Yeah. She asked me about, ah, I wish I could remember exactly how she said it because the way that she said it to me is she had me focus more on a feeling yeah. than any kind of concrete thing. Yeah. She said, you know, when you think about having breasts that are the same size as before and look relatively the same as before breast cancer, how does that make you feel? And I said, yeah, it makes you feel okay. She's like, now think about having breasts one size bigger. How does that make you feel? And I was like, ooh, that makes me feel good. And she was like, there it is. And that's after we had gone through all this other logistical stuff, like, right, you know, if I was a hardcore runner or an athlete, I may not want, you know, these 32 C's bouncing around. But I am very much not a runner <laughs> unless my life is threatened. And even then, I'll probably just curl up into a ball and say, make it quick. <laughs> oh. time out, you know, everybody's got somewhere to be. But this is, that's the benefit. Mm-hmm. And it. You are going to be a surgeon who puts women back together again after having breast cancer. Mm-hmm. You had better as hell get good at having these conversations, and it is not okay to not be good at that. I'm going to go to your surgeon. <laughs> should. Everyone should. I'm going to go to her. Experience. There may be people who didn't have a good experience with her, but mine was completely very different. Um, and I'm not going to say I had those kinds of conversations. Um, and, and I think my experience was really different because I think everyone's going to have a really different experience. But looking back on that, that would have been pretty cool to have somebody be able to relate and to talk and have that kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's... I also think having chemo prior to you had this time I had time to yeah. to make these kinds of decisions. It makes um, a big difference. And I think you're we're in a weird way lucky to have that time. Sure. You know, I think No, I was very lucky to have time. I was very lucky to have access to this surgeon who is close mm-hmm. to my house, mm-hmm. who happened to have availability. Yeah. Who accepted your insurance. <laughs> accepted my fucking insurance. Right. Yeah. Who practiced at the hospital that I'm approved to go to. Right. Who has a lot of experience 
in exactly the surgery I had to have. Mm-hmm. Very, very lucky. And yeah. not everyone is lucky. But think about how different the conversation around breast cancer would be. Think about how different the conversation around aesthetic flat closure, mm-hmm. implants would be if for the last 200 years we had had women at the forefront of developing these things. Yeah, like night and day. My experience would be rote. It would be typical. Mm -hmm. It would not be outstanding. The fact that it's outstanding, the fact that you have to be lucky to get a good goddamn result, Mm -hmm. that's not, this is not a happy story of me finding my surgeon. This is a sad story. Right. I had to be so lucky in order to find someone who would listen to me. Yeah. And and tailor the approach towards my specific needs. Right. It is a sad fucking story. And it is a direct descendant of a system mm-hmm. built built and operated, owned and operated by men and especially white men. Yeah. And you see it all the way up the leadership change on the clinical side, and you see it all the way up the leadership chain on the administrative side. I don't know how your organization diagram like parses out, but I work for one of the largest healthcare employers in the nation. Mm -hmm. And everybody at the top has um, no lips, Mm-hmm. and a penis and that tells you everything you need to know i i got you there mm-hmm. i mean the lips i'm sure about the penis eh, to be fair i'm assuming <laughs> oh man i am making an assumption there but i think it's a pretty good one i would agree i would agree so since we have to sleep at some point tonight. I know. I'm sh- shocked that I'm not being infiltrated on. I'm shocked and I feel, I feel blessed. <laughs> feel blessed. They're, they're going to be like, mommy, I'm tired. I'm like, you can't sleep without me putting you to bed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get this done. In conclusion. Yes. What you allow is what will continue. Yes. What you permit is what you promote. Ooh! Mm-hmm. Say it again. What you permit is what you promote. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I use that a lot. Because that's like an alliteration, too. Mm. Oh, I love that one. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Misogyny in our culture is killing women from the most blatant and obviously racist example of the recent gunning down of Asian women in Atlanta to the countless and ongoing violations of autonomy happening every day in hospitals across the country, most of which go unnoticed, unreported, and certainly unpunished. I've seen it up close and personal. You've seen it up close and personal. Misogyny is not a problem that women have with men. It is a problem that men have with women. And that is an important distinction because therein lies the burden for change. Dudes, fix your bros. Dude <sighs> surgeons, yeah. fix your bro surgeons. 
Do it. Paternalism must die. Long live autonomy for all women, femmes, and human persons. And here's where we get to it. Do not come at me with that hashtag, not all surgeons, bullshit. I don't exercise my personal will against a woman's body while she's unconscious is a really weird flex and a fucking low bar. Talk to your dude bro surgeons and find out which of them is doing this shit and tell them to stop. Because apparently, as a male, you're still considered top of the social pecking order. So fucking do something with that privilege. Because I'm tired. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to be funny when I am filled with such high levels of goddamn rage. So fix it. Give me my humor back. Because all I feel is anger all the time. Stress is bad, Jocelyn. It's bad. It's a killer. It kills almost as many women as misogyny. Fix it. Fix it. And let us know when it's done. I'll be waiting. Uh Uh-huh. Me too.